1: than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr your Merrill Griff.
2: Hi, welcome to Call Between Generations. I know as a caregiver how busy you are, so thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. So according to TrueLink Financial, older Americans are criminally defrauded of, are you ready for this number? It's unbelievable, $12.76 billion annually. That's billion, $12.76 billion. Now, I consider myself somewhat smart and fairly sophisticated. However, I want to tell you that when I read our first guest blogs, I was really taken aback by scams, I actually had no idea existed. Um, Scammers invading faith-based dating sites, calls from Microsoft concerning issues with my computer that are not real, and problems with cancer charities. So it just absolutely blew me away. So we're going to provide you with information about this that will hopefully stop you from being defrauded and scammed. And when we're done, in the second part of the show, we're going to talk about teens and the internet and things like they're being able to have secret accounts that you have no knowledge of and what do you do if your teenager refuses to give you access to their phone or their computer or social media accounts Okay, we're ready. We're going to be good and we're not going to get scammed anymore because we're going to begin with Amy Nafziger, who leads all of AARP's foundation consumer protection activities. Amy has worked with the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and many other publications helping to uncover and spotlight Freud and exploitation of older adults. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Amy.
3: Thank
2: you so, so much for having me. Well, so I have a basic question: How the heck do they find us? I mean, <laughs> they're unbelievable. I mean, how do they? F- I mean, everyone knows putting your credit card on the internet, but but really, how do they find us? Well, they find you in many ways, um, but what I'd like to
3: say about it is that regardless how hidden you are, sometimes they can still find you. So when we talk about, you know, frauds and scams and how to protect yourself, I want to make sure that people don't get overly scared. Know what you can do in your life to protect yourself But we don't want you hiding or being fearful because you still have to live your life. Um, Because oftentimes we hear, especially from older adults, is that they get so scared they don't do anything. And that's not what we want. We want to empower you with the information and the education. So one of the ways that they find you are the same way other marketing agencies or other companies find you. Your name is on some list. Somewhere. So anytime you buy something, you register for something, you're putting your name and your information on a list, and marketers and scammers can create a profile about you from your habits, your name, your birthday, how much maybe you owe on your house, the zip code you live in, all of that information is out there and they have access to it. So with that, just be very careful of where you put your information and only give it to those who absolutely need it. But one of the ways that a lot of our victims are repeated victims is because there's victim list, as some like to call them out there. And victim lists are the names of people who have either responded or ready to a scam um, or have been a victim of a scam. And scammers use these lists over and over and over. And if your name is on one of these lists, you're going to receive continuous phone calls. And and recently, um, our Our um, partners down in Jamaica um, with the Jamaican authorities down there, they found out that there were actually people being killed over these lists, and that's that's how important they are to the scammers. So just really watch where you put your information and don't respond unsolicited to anything that comes to you over the phone, your email or your mail.
2: Well, that brings up an issue about calls because it seems to me that personally we get more calls at home now um, where there's just silence or you know, if I stay on long enough, sometimes I hear like a computer message, but, mm-hmm. but it just seems to me it's just silent. I mean, I mean, it used to be a joke between my husband and I it would be like, yeah, hey, that's my, it's your girlfriend calling again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but what is that all about? So a lot of times when you
3: pick up the phone and there's just silence, you're exactly right. If you wait long enough, usually someone will come on. And what that is, it's a technology system that a lot of companies use, like a predictive dialer. So a computer will actually be dialing multiple phone numbers at the same time. And the operator is only connected to the one that picks up the phone. So there's often a lag time by the time you pick up the phone and the operator knows that you're actually live on the phone and they start talking. For me... About the phone is <laughs> probably not going to be popular with a lot of people, but I think some of the best advice that's out there is if you, if you do have caller ID and you don't recognize the number, like it's not your child, your neighbor, anything like that, do not pick up the phone. There, Let it go to voicemail because a lot of people say, well, what if it's my doctor's office? What if it's something important? If it's something important, somebody will leave a message or they will call you back. But every time I pick up the phone at my house, it's never anything important, and it's a telemarketer. And for people who have trouble saying no or hanging up or getting off the phone, you're putting yourself in that vulnerable situation. So, again, let it go to voicemail. Even if you don't have caller ID Why pick up the phone and put yourself in that situation when you may be distracted, you may be multitasking, and you have that vulnerability to saying yes to something that you normally would not say yes to? And I will tell you, especially for older adults, that is still, the phone is still, Still, the way the scammers are connecting to them. It's not so much email. It's not so much mail. It is the telephone. So every time you pick up that phone, you don't know who is on the other end. So just don't pick it up. That's my opinion. A lot of people disagree with it because they think it's somebody important. But again, I always say if it's somebody important, they will leave a message or they will call you back.
2: So Amy, is that advice for cell phones also? I mean, All of us now are getting calls on our cell phones. We have no idea who it is that's calling. The number shows up, but we don't know who it is.
3: Yeah, with cell phones, unless you have that number programmed into your contacts, it's not going to come up with somebody's name, um, and it usually just comes up as a number or maybe a city and state. That is the advice that I give, and that is what I do for myself Um, when I see my cell phone ring. If I do not recognize the number, I do not pick up the phone, Um, sometimes just for convenience sake. But... Every time that I have not picked up the phone and there's been someone wanting to get a hold of me, they'll either text me, right, or they'll leave me a message. Otherwise, um, it's usually someone trying to sell me a travel trip or, you know, the customer ser- I got a customer service one the other day that wasn't really customer service. Right? Th- it's never anyone that I really want to talk to.
2: So another type of uh, theft that you talk about is medical identity theft. You know, the problem is you have to provide people with your medical information. So what types of situations, though, would be a red flag that I would not give them my medical information?
3: Well so for, uh, for a majority of Americans obviously that are on Medicare, their Medicare numbers are also their social security numbers. so you really want to be careful with that information. Um, I recommend that people do not carry their Medicare card in their wallet unless they know they were going to the doctor's office or physical therapy that day and need to provide it. Usually your doctor's office will already have a copy and you'll only need it to provide it once a year. but if your wallet gets stolen, that is one of the pieces of information that the thieves want is that number. They can charge bogus services to it or they even can commit um, regular identity theft. But if someone calls you over the phone and is asking if you are uh, Medicare eligible and Do you have knee problems and they can get you a back brace or a knee brace um, for free, but they just need to verify, right, your Medicare eligibility. Can I please have your number? We know that that is one way that people are getting that number and then they're charging bogus services to your Medicare number. It's always very important to read any explanation of benefits that you get in the mail. Um, Regardless if it's Medicare paying for it, your private insurance, read that because you just want to go through and make sure that those are services that were actually rendered to you because what happens is sometimes with medical identity theft is if someone takes your number and has a procedure or has a different blood type than you, that goes on your medical record. So if there is some emergency and they look up your medical record, you could get mistreatment because of wrong blood type, you know, whatever it is. So you really just want to read that EOB that you get in the mail um, and then call right away if you see anything on it that is not correct.
2: My gosh, I never thought about actually doing that. That's great great advice. Let's talk about charities because I will admit that personally, um, I have become very, very hesitant um, about giving money to charities unless I really, really know uh, or I think I know exactly where it's going. So one of the things you talk about is these cancer charities that are not real, I, I mean, what is that all about? And how do you know whether something is real or not? Well, you
3: when you you know brought that up, you made it sound like a bad thing that you're being very cautious and careful with giving your money. But that's really a good thing. because we want people to give, but we want them to give. Smartly and wisely, so absolutely be very cautious about who you give your hard-earned money to. So, regardless if it's a charity or, or I'm sorry, a cancer organization, or a veterans organization, or a kids organization that they're, you know, soliciting money for, you want to do your due diligence and check out that charity. Um, oftentimes what they do is they'll pull on your heartstrings. And so obviously, right, cancer is something that's devastating. And so they can use that to pull on your heartstrings when a fact is not going to a legitimate organization or just maybe 1% of it is going to something. So there's fabulous resources and websites out there where you can check your charity. And we really recommend that for people who do like to give to charities, and, and that's part of their you know annual giving, is to sit down at the beginning of the year or whenever it's convenient for you and map out the charities that you want to give to that year. Do your research on them. Find out if they meet your um, standards. And everyone has different standards. There's also standards that the industry has. And then set up a planned giving plan to those particular charities so when someone does call you unsolicited or shows up at your front door you can be very nice and respectful and say that sounds like a great cause but I have set up my annual giving plan for this year I'll be happy to take some information and consider you for next year that's one way to do it Um, but we really recommend that you never give money over the phone or through your doorstep to anybody that you do not know now sure if it's your next door neighbor you know, Cub Scout or whatever they're you know raising money for, then that's your decision. But we have seen a lot of charitable fraud um, come through the phone or over the doorstep.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think that what happens is is when there's especially when there's a natural disaster like in Haiti and the hurricane, mm-hmm. um, you know, people are just they they just give. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 and and you're saying that you really need to search out it. Even those situations and those charities, to make. Well, sure. yeah, I mean,
3: absolutely, you do. But there are those times. There are those times when you feel pulled, or if you're, you know, your best friend asks you to donate for their race or something. Those are times where you know a little, a little digging can go a long way. And most of the times when it is a natural disaster, like with Haiti, there will be. One organization that comes together, um, whether it's with some former presidents or, you know, some of the larger organizations that come together um, and, and says, you know, we're collecting the money, you know, we're doing this. Now, obviously, anything can kind of always happen, but I'm just saying to be really careful of the people who are calling you unsolicited. Um, most often those are paid solicitors too, and it could be 10% that goes to the charity, but you know, 90% goes to the paid mm-hmm. solicitor. So a little research, especially after natural disasters, can go a long way. But definitely, again, if you're field to, to give, give, but just give wisely.
2: We're talking to Amy Nafziger from AARP and when we return we're going to be discussing those internet dating sites and some tax fraud scre- schemes so stay with us. Your
4: life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Sarah care we provide daytime activities in health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day it is 101 activities at home by dinner While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health &
1: Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Amy Nofziger from AERP, the Consumer Protection Activity. Sorry. And we have been learning a lot about scams. So, Amy, let's talk about scammers targeting faith-based dating sites. I mean, I was really taken aback by that.
5: Mm
3: -hmm. Well, they're targeting all dating sites, I will say that, but with the faith-based dating sites, they're using that affinity group of religion to then victimize. So, you know, we hear from a lot of victims, he prayed with me, you know, he said he believed in God, and by saying that there's an inherent trust in that person, when of course the scammer was just lying, but... You know, online romance scams, they're they're newer, right, because online dating sites are newer. Um, And so a lot of people don't even know that that's a place where fraud can happen. So if any listeners out there are online or have a friend who's dating online, you know, the red flags to pay attention to are is that somebody falls in love quickly. You meet someone online, whether they reach out to you or you reach out to them, but you they fall in love quickly. Um, they say that they're from the United States, but they're working overseas. Then the crisis situation happens. Either their wallet gets stolen, their passports get stolen, they can't come to see you, but they request Money. And usually the request comes via a wire transfer or even a prepaid gift card, like an iTunes gift card or any of those prepaid gift cards that you can buy at the store. So really, if you are online, I mean, it's a great place to meet people. But, you know, remove that emotion from your decision-making. Is it reasonable that someone you have just met um Say that you are the only person that can help them, because that's what they say. Do not send money or goods to anybody that you have not met, and keep a lot of your personal information you share online. Keep it a little, you know, private. Don't give your last name yet. Don't give your place of employment. Be a little mysterious, but one of the best things to do is to take the profile picture that they're using, and you can actually put it into Google Image Search So you can just drag that picture into Google Image Cert and you can see if it comes up anywhere else online. And why that's so important is because we know a lot of these scammers are stealing profile pictures from military sites, modeling agencies, or other places online to appear more desirable and to create this persona. So then you can see if that profile picture is shown up anywhere else online to find out if this person is real.
2: Very interesting. So you used a term that I wasn't familiar with when we were uh, talking on the break, and that was imposter scams. Mm-hmm. So can you explain that to us? So imposter scams, it's kind of a newer word, but it's how we are lumping some
3: of these scams into each other It's pre- in, with each other. It's pretending to be somebody that you are not. So some of the the three um, most popular imposter scams that we're seeing right now are the grandparent scam, and I'll get into that, the Microsoft Tech scam or just even the tech support scam, or the IRS. So, the grandparent scam is where someone will receive a phone call from someone claiming to be their grandchild. And a oftentimes, they have the real grandchild's name, whether they get that through internet or through an obituary, but they'll claim they have an emergency and that the grandparent is the only one that can help them Can they wire money. Um, that scam is just devastating because the grandparent, you know, they really think their grandchild's in trouble and they work under fear and then they send the money. So if that happens and you get that phone call, hang up the phone, call the grandchild at the number you know where them to be, not the number the scammer gave you, or call their parents. Oftentimes the scammer will say, don't call mom and dad because I'll get in trouble Call the parents. You'd rather have that child get in trouble than lose $20,000. Then the IRS scam is where you receive a phone call and someone claiming you owe back taxes and that you're going to be arrested if you don't pay immediately. We know that the IRS does not operate that way, and we know it's not true. Again, hang up the phone. If you think you might have OVAC taxes, call the IRS number directly, not the number they gave you. And then finally, and this is probably the biggest one right now, is the tech support scam. You either get a pop-up on your computer or a phone call claiming to be from Microsoft or Apple or Google saying that you have a significant virus on your computer. They want access into your computer. And once they're in there, they can add spyware. They can put malware on your computer. And then what they do is they request money to take it off. Um, Microsoft does not operate that way, and they will never call you unsolicited.
2: Yeah, I will say that um, I was telling you that a friend of mine um, got was taken in by that grandparent scam. I mean, we're talking about very sophisticated people. I mean, she's a social worker, he's a dentist. Um, but when that call comes in, you're panicked because you do think your grandchild is in trouble. Um, and thank goodness I happen to be... Um, yeah, with him at the time, and when he got the call, and I said, you know, you better call your, I don't know what made me say that, I said, you better call your son and make sure what's going on. He called his son, and his son called his son, his You know, the grandson who was at Ohio State, OSU, and the grandson said, I'm just about to go into class. What do you mean I'm in Mexico in a jail? (laughs) You know, that's absurd. Um, And these scams, sophistication,
3: education, any of that does not matter. Um, Knowing the red flags matters, and then being able to pull yourself out of that emotional state. And that's why you were so helpful, because you were thinking cognitively, not emotionally, like the grandparents were.
2: So let's talk about tax fraud scre- schemes. I mean, one of the things you talked about was the IRS. What other kinds of tax-related schemes uh, are there that we should be aware of? Well, certainly tax identity theft.
3: And and that's one of those things where I could be sitting here on the phone right now and have everything locked down and someone could still file a tax uh, return for my information but get the check sent to them, right? Like, So you, you can't freak out too much about it. You just need to really be aware. Um, where do you put your Social Security number? You know, keep that safe. File your taxes early. You know, it's it's already March uh, What is it, March 9th. I mean, maybe you should have filed by now because scammers will file early. Um, and if you get any suspicious mail or anything that comes from the IRS, do not ignore it because it might be telling you that someone has filed on your behalf. Um, a lot of people, they see something from the IRS and they kind of panic. Don't um, you know? Call them up. Find out what's happening. And, and just, you know, be careful if you get your taxes done by somebody else. You're giving a lot of personal information. You know, do your research. Check them out. Get a referral. Um, but most importantly, when it comes to that Social Security number, is just check your credit report also. Make sure that there's nothing suspicious on your credit report. Um, the scammers want your money, but they also want that Social Security number so they can open, you know, new lines of credit. And the first place that it will be reported is on your credit report. So check that out.
2: You know, I, I think it's difficult because um, many companies now are asking for the last four digits of your social security number. I mean, is is that safe to do? You, you
3: ha- everyone, has to decide kind of what their level of safety is. If someone were to ask me that, I would certainly question them and ask why. And is there another identifying number that they could use, like the last four digits of my phone number, to identify me? Um, because if they, if somebody who has you know, bad, bad, you know, doings and wants to commit something against you. If they have the last four, it's not that hard to find out the first few numbers. Um, So ask them, be, you know, be empowered and say, why do you need this number? Is there another number that I can give you to identify myself? Um, You know, like your address, the last four digits of your phone number, something like that. The social security number has just kind of become a catch-all to identify people when, the scammers, it's so out there, and the scammers are using it to steal people's money. So just you know, just ask that question.
2: So, Amy, h- how can we take advantage of the uh, AARP Fraud Watch Network t- in, to help us and, and to protect ourselves?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of ways. Um, first of all, you can go to aarp.org slash fraud watch network. There, there are tons of resources for people to read through about all the different kinds of scams. Also, you can sign up for the watchdog alerts. These are email alerts that come about every two weeks with the latest frauds and scams. And it's really up-to-date information. We run a helpline, and a lot of the fraud alerts that we get are from calls on the helpline. We get a new scam, we write up a fraud alert, and we, we send it out to the email so everybody can hear about it. Also, on the website, um, you can have access to the Fraud Watch number helpline. And I can certainly give that number. It's 877-908-3360. And this is free to anybody. You don't have to be an AARP member. But on the helpline, if you get a strange phone call or you're not sure, or you've been a victim and you don't know where to start, we've trained volunteers that pick up that line, and they're, they're ready to help anyone who calls. <laughs>
2: Amy, you've been very, very helpful, and I'm many of us, I'm sure, most of us have learned a lot from you today. Is there uh, any last contact information you want to give us? Um, I, for your listeners, I have written down the uh, number that you gave us and the websites, and we will go ahead and post them uh, on our website and blog. So that
3: that is fantastic. You know, I, I always say education is the way that we're going to get these scams to stop. So. You know, whether you know this information, but maybe your neighbor doesn't. So share with your friends, your neighbor, your family, and just that's how we're going to stop these scams, just by teaching everyone the red flags.
2: Thank you so much for being with us today. This really has been extremely enlightening, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. When we return, we'll be talking to Tova Gar uh, about uh, secret Internet accounts um, that our children or grandchildren may have and some tips for monitoring uh, their use of social media and the Internet. We'll be right back.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care.
0: We're on the cutting edge
4: of social media.
0: Can you keep up?
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: Thanks for staying with us. You are listening to Caught Between Generations, and we're here with Tova Gar, who is the CEO and founder of From Girls to Women, an organization dedicated to strengthening mother-daughter relationships. Tova has devoted over 20 years working with teens and young adults around the world, Um, and so we're very interested in talking to her. And I will tell you, though, today we're going to focus a little bit um, on both genders, on both boys and girls, and when we're talking about technology and social media. So welcome to Caught Between Generations, Tova. Thank you. So excited to be here today. Ah, oh, thank you. So, Tova, do you see a difference, though, between how boys and girls share and react to social media? Absolutely.
5: First of all, boys and girls are different. We know that. And what draws them in and the ways in they interact are very different. So boys are more drawn to video games. Boys are more likely to be exposed to porn at a much younger age. The average age today for exposure for boys is 9 or 10 years old, which I think is a a fact that most parents aren't aware of. Um, So boys are much more likely uh, at an early age to be approached uh, and bullied through gaming gaming apps and things like that. Boys at a later age today, we see using uh, naked pictures of girls, like baseball cards, passing them around, collecting them, which is not something that we see with girls. And with girls, we see that a lot of their interaction online is really about creating connections. It's about popularity. It's about doing the right thing and being liked. Um, and so we'll see girls that are, you know, taking 100-plus photos before they post something. They'll put it online and take it off if it doesn't get enough likes quick enough.
2: Um, and so they're using it in very different ways to fill different kinds of needs. Yeah, tofa I mean, thinking about, look, I, I had, I have sons. I mean, I understand boys in porn. Whether you agree or disagree, mm-hmm. it's just there. But at 9 or yeah. 10... Yeah, it's a very different world. I just find
5: Nine or ten, by the way, you're not seeking it out most of the time. You you should know that. Most of the time, it's not they're saying, oh, I want to find out. Unless, by the way, they were given information and they weren't given enough. And then they're going to search. And that would be in boys and girls, by the way. Um, But most of the time, they're being exposed either because they're running into it accidentally or they're being shown by older boys. And they don't know how to handle the information. And, you know, at the same time, we're also, you know, once porn was something, I and mean, porn has always been part of teenage boys' lives, but, you know, they would hide it. They would have a magazine. Now the the access is very easy, and it's, um, it's never-ending and, and a lot more complicated. The implications, we don't have time to talk today about the implications, but they're tremendous
2: on boys and relationships and boys and girls. It's huge. Yeah. So I, it seems to me that, that a large part of the problem is establishing, you know, guidelines and rules around children's mm-hmm. use of social media. So at what age should you begin doing that? You should
5: be doing that as soon as your kids
2: have access to anything that
5: has Wi-Fi. So one of the big misconceptions around, with parents that I meet is that you only really need to start talking about this when you give your kids a phone, and that's not true because today any device that has Wi-Fi access, whether it's an iPod or an iPad, is essentially the same as a phone. The only difference is that they don't have access 24-7. They have access only when they have Wi-Fi, but there's Wi-Fi almost everywhere, and so you can message today. You can make phone calls with, with a device that is not a phone, and so it's really the same. So as soon as you're giving your kids access, that is the time to start having those conversations. And I know it scares parents because they're like, What well, am I gonna talk to my nine year old about porn? And the answer is yes. Because they're gonna they're gonna it's it's gonna happen. So better they be prepared and you want it to be age appropriate, of course, but better that they be prepared and know that this is something that might happen and that you're there for them and ready to talk, even if it feels uncomfortable, rather than them living with themselves with, you know, this exposure, not knowing what to do with it. And often what they end up doing is they getting further because they're curious, because it's weird, because they don't know what to do. Or, or like somebody, a colleague of mine who I spoke to, whose nine-year-old was exposed to porn at a girlfriend's house, who her mother told her about sex, but not enough. So she went searching and she found, you know, horrifying videos. What did she do? She shared with her best friend. So... You want them to know, you want them to know that this is part of the things that they may might interact with and if it does happen, they should come talk to you. Make so, sure that that's clear. They're not in trouble and they should come talk to you.
2: What about actual rules? I mean, especially with with teenagers. I mean, what is your suggestions for the guidelines that parents should put down for their for their adolescents?
5: So, I'm, I'm a firm believer in creating a social media contract, and I think that that needs to be something that is not just for your teens. It should be a family thing. because social media has taken over our lives as adults as well, and we see many parents who come home from work and are, co- are still connected to their phone, right? They're waiting for that email from work or for something to come in and are still very connected. And I think that one of the things we need to establish as a family is one of the times that we're offline. And the the way I recommend doing this is actually by having a family conversation and having your team. Teens believe that they're already grown up and they believe that they know best. And so if you just try to put rules on them, they're going to resist, right? That's who they are as teenagers. It's their job to rebel against you. (laughs) And so what I recommend is viewing it as a way where they come with their wants and needs and what they believe is reasonable. You come with what's important to you. And for the parents, I recommend the whole process of clarifying your values and what's important to you and really being prepared for this, this family meeting. And then coming together and having a conversation. So you've laid out what those rules are and also what the consequences are going to be, which, by the way, then later on prevents a lot of the fighting and anger around uh, what happens when something went wrong because it's going to go wrong. Right? They're going to make a mistake. It's going to go wrong. I guarantee it. And what the rules are really depends on the age. So when they're younger, you want to put a lot more restrictions. You want to put a lot of restrictions on time. You want to put restrictions on where and what they can download. You know, most apps you're not even supposed to download until you're 13. So you really want to make sure that there's a lot more monitoring on the way they use social media because your job as a parent is to teach them how to do it and they're not going to figure it out on their own. That I can tell you from, from a lot of experience right, with dealing with the kids who have not figured it out on their own. And the older they get, if you can maintain in your house open, open and honest communication, okay, if you feel like you have a good handle on what's going on with your kid, because what happens is what happens offline is going to be reflected online, okay, then you want to slowly follow less, first of all, because I hope most parents who are listening have a life, <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> and if you're going to really follow all your kids' text messages and where they're going and what they're doing, you're going to spend a lot of time online, but also because the goal is to teach them to make good decisions on their own. And, but, you, but because that's a process and because they make many mistakes when they're teenagers, you want to be spot-checking the text messages. You want to be spot-checking. The, you definitely want to know what apps they're downloading. Um, you know, you want to be spot-checking where they're going online and where they're hanging out. But most importantly, you want to be having conversations offline um, about what it is that's going on on their social media life and have a, a, your hand finger on the pulse of how they're doing because if they're lonely in real life, they're going to look for friendship online. And they're a lot more susceptible, for example, to strangers who are going to reach out and want to be their friend. That's
2: really tough. The Let me get back to it. Before yeah. we get into that, which is an important issue, and I will return to it, I want to talk, though, about, because I I, I know many um, parents who, you know, will do what they call random cell phone checks. You know, they'll just mm-hmm. suddenly say to a, uh, a, a child, give me your phone, because they want to check the text messages. Um, mm-hmm. So... What happens, how do you handle it if your child resists and says, no, I'm not going to give you access to my Facebook page or my Instagram, and no, I'm not handing over my cell phone to you?
5: So first of all, to be no is not an acceptable answer, and this is why we start, you want to give them a contract before they even get it, and if anybody's listening saying, oh my God, my kids already have one, that's okay, it's never too late, right? You say, things aren't working as they are, it's time to rethink this. And part of what's in the contract, and, and I use a simple contract that I give to all my clients and all the people that work with me, is one that says something very simple, which is your phone isn't actually yours. It's on loan to you, right? It's mine as a parent, and I am loaning it to you to use responsibly. This is what it means to use responsibly, right? That's the goal of the contract, to talk about what is responsible behavior online. And... But one of the things is that as a parent, you should have all your kids' passwords and you should have access to all those things when there's no such thing. And one of the things we want to talk about before is privacy, right? There is no such thing as privacy online. It does not exist. Once you put something out there, even in a text message, then automatically the receiver of the text message can then deal with that message, whatever it is that they see fit, right? They do not have to keep it between the two of you. Right? I've seen many kids and heard many stories of kids getting in trouble that way. Um, and, then, and so they need to understand that. right? When they're writing something on Facebook, they're not, it's not private. It goes out to the whole world, and your parents are part of that world. And so if there's something that they are doing that they do not want you to see, then they should not be doing it online. It's that simple. Then they shouldn't be doing it online. And when you also make clear and you have a relationship with your kids, it's clear then that, frankly, you're not really interested in their conversations with their friends. You have much better things to do with your life than to follow the nonsense that teens, you know, do with each other to entertain themselves. Your job is only one, and that is to make sure that they are being safe and responsible and smart. And that if not, whether they are doing it by, you know, drinking and driving, which you would never accept, or doing it by posting, you know, explicit photos online, as a parent, you're going to step up. And not giving your phone is, not an, is simply not an option. It's not an option. So you'll cancel their, their service and they won't have a phone line, right, if you have to go that far. But my goal for parents is to not get anywhere near that space where you're having that fight with your kid where he says, I'm not giving it to you, and you're saying you have to. Because if you've gotten to that part, if
2: to that space, you've gone too far. And so you want to start rethinking how you're communicating around it. So, Jeva, let's go back to that then, something you said. So, if you see them posting something online that you Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. may be potentially harmful for them, they may not see it that way. They may think it's just fine, but you think it is. So, what are your options? What can you do? So,
5: the first thing you want to do is you want to open up a conversation because if they are posting something like that, there there are a few different reasons. One could be that they're simply not aware of what the consequences could be of posting things like this, right? Most teens are not thinking about the fact that even though technically they're not supposed to, um, many college admission officers are looking at social media profiles. Job workplaces are looking at social media profiles, right? A lot of them will tell you that officially they're not supposed to, but in reality they are, right? And, And kids... They may not be able to think to work, but they definitely teenagers can think as far as college, right? And think about the consequences. Or thinking about their school and their teacher looking at these pictures, what would they see? Or their grandmother often is a really good place. And teenagers tend to have great relationships with their grandparents. What would your grandmother say if she saw this picture, right? How would she feel? That's that's one option, right? They're just simply not aware of the consequences. The other one is that they they are and they think that it's okay. And that's where a values conversation comes in of, you know, what is or isn't acceptable, right? And the fact that they're teenager means that they're still living in your house and still need to abide by your rules. And so that, that is something that you want to be enforcing in real life and you, online is just another form of real life, Right. But you want to start a real conversation about a- asking them before you go off and tell them that it's wrong. All you're going to get is resistance. You want to ask them, why is it that they're doing it? What are they hoping to gain? Right? Why, and, and, why do they think it is okay? Why do they like, why does this sound like a great idea to them?
2: It Tova, I, to I want years. you to hold. Tova, I want you to hold that thought because we have to go to break. But when we return, uh, we are going to be talking to Tova Gara about some of the issues and problems that might be underlying um, uh, why your children are doing the kinds of things they're doing on social media. And we're going to return to that issue of loneliness and some other issues. And we're going to talk to her about secret accounts. So stay with us.
1: At Sarah Care. We provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved. Involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1 800 472 5544 today to learn how SarahCare can help or visit us on the web at That's S A R A H care.com.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: Okay, we're back, and we've been talking to Tova Gar, who is the CEO and founder of From Girls to Women, and we've been having a great conversation about how to really talk to your children and um, about social media and their use of the internet and ways that you possibly can avoid some problems by having that open communication and setting those guidelines um, ahead of time, including uh, Tova's suggestion of having a family meeting and setting a social media contract, which I thought was a great suggestion. Um, Tova, you talk in your writings about um, children having secret accounts. I mean, actually, what is a secret account? So one of the things about social media and the Internet is
5: that anybody can open an account under any name, right? It doesn't actually have to be real. And so one of the things that we see, especially in parenting relationships, when the relationship is not good and the teenagers want to hide what they're doing, what they simply do is they'll open one account under their name, because, you know, really them and their picture, and then they'll open a parallel account. Uh, that their parents do not know about um, and therefore they can do on that account whatever it is that they want without being supervised or monitored.
2: That's essentially what we're talking about. So I've also, um, I had one of my staff actually show me that um, when she checks her children's cell phones, I mean, she's looking for icons that are not real. So it's, you know, I think she showed me a, a clock or a, it was a calculator that mm-hmm. when you punch calculator. on it, yeah, yeah, is it actually brings you to another site. It's not really a calculator. I mean, is, is that very common? Um. Well, common is a hard thing to say.
5: It definitely happens a lot, and it happens a lot with those who feel that they have what to hide. So um, one of the things that I have and I share with my clients is actually a list of those apps so that are growing and they change every day um, of, of various apps that are actually hiding something else. And so there's a whole bunch of apps that's job is to look innocent on your phone, and when you click into them, that's where, you know, when I was talking about boys, you know, storing these nude photos of girls in their school, that's where they're storing them, right? They're storing them in these places where you wouldn't automatically think to check. And that's why I think that parents need to be very on top of things when it comes to what their kids are up to. And they need to not be afraid to go in and take a look and explore what these apps are, not even necessarily on their kids' phone, on their own phone, right? Simply download it to your phone, open it up, and check what it is. Check what it does. Find out.
2: Um, that's, but ha- that's the best way to move forward. But how would I know what these apps are? How, how can I access that information? All you have to
5: do, I mean, when you first of all, when you see what it is that they are downloading, all you have to do is go into you know, the, the Apple Store or you know, Google Play, depending on what kind of phone you have, and just type in the name, and you'll get an explanation of what the app is. More importantly, Google it, and you'll find out what the app really is. All right, so in the Apple Store, Yellow, there's an app called Yellow. It says Yellow Meet New Friends. If you find out what Yellow is, Yellow is really like a Tinder for teenagers. So it's a, an app where kids are meeting up with random other teenagers to hook up. Right, you wouldn't know that looking at the App Store, but you would know that if you did a Google search on what Yellow is, for example.
2: Okay it's it's very it's it's overwhelming um, to some it extent it is overwhelming yeah so what are you alluded to um before the kinds of issues that kids have that lead them to, into doing some things sure. on social media. And one of the examples you gave earlier was that a child is feeling very isolated and very lonely or socially outcast. I mean, can you talk to us a little bit about those kinds of issues that sure. maybe we should be attending to more than the social media issues? Yeah, so I
5: think there are are actually two things, if it's okay, I'd like to mention here. One of them is, like you were saying, what is it that's happening? And so what I like to say all the time is that what happens online is always a mirror to what's happening in real life. And so if your kid is feeling lonely, like I was saying, offline, they're going to look for friendships online. If they are being bullied in real life, there's a good chance that they're going to go online and find themselves actually bullying other kids because that's a place where they can feel strength easily, um, which is something that, that's very hard for kids that are being bullied. It's, you know, if they're, if they're, it's very important for them to be popular and be liked and be you know, in that kind of category in their school. Those are the kids who you're going to see who are overly obsessed with likes and you know, posting on Instagram and on Twitter and making sure that their profile is very, very high online. If you see girls who are having serious body image issues, they're going to be the girls who are going to be taking a 100 photos and filtering and refiltering with all the apps that filter pictures today to make you look skinnier and prettier and smoother and et cetera, um, and posting those online and deriving their value from how many likes they get. Right? There's going to be a direct connection, and they're not going to be able to leave live without it. But the other important thing that I, I think is really important that p- parents know is that what happens to teens and, and us as adults when it comes to social media is we get a dopamine hit when we get a text message or when we get a like. It's, it's the same effect that we have when we talk about alcohol and drug consumption. right? It's the same thing. It's the same kind of feeling. And so what's happening to our kids at a time in life where their brain is just developing is they're imprinting this addiction to social media. And that is one of the biggest problems. That's why you see these interactions of when you say, I'm going to take your phone away or I'm going to restrict you, that kids are behaving in a way that addicts behave because they really feel they can't live without it. And that's one of the reasons that teaching the moderation at this age is extremely important.
2: It's important for now and it's important long-term. So, well, how? What's your suggestion then? I mean, how would you address that? The, that kind of an issue, I mean, is it is it something that you want to sit down and talk about? That you want to help? Maybe have the child get involved with a group or a therapist? What's your suggestions for that? Well, if if your kid is
5: already in the stage where they are struggling, and you can tell that they're struggling, then yes, you want them to be working with a therapist, with a coach like me. There are a lot of people who specialize in uh, working with teenagers. And so, yes, 100%, you want to get them help as soon as possible to help them, because at this point, they, they probably can't hear it from you. So you want them to, to be able to listen and, and work with somebody else who can help them see, uh, you know, what's really going on for them and help them go through the process, essentially, of, of getting off social media, right, and getting off that dependency that they currently have with it. Um, and the... The best way, now, even if they're not safe, it doesn't mean you necessarily need a lot of professional help. The parents may just need some help and guidance in learning how to set boundaries, right, and learning how to help their kids regulate their time and step away. You don't always need, you know, automatically to be working as a therapist. Sometimes it's just about creating and setting guidelines and helping them see the benefits of it, which the only way they see the benefit is once they experience it. I have a client who was very connected to her iPod, and when her parents took it away for two weeks for a good reason, because they caught her, you know, texting inappropriately with a boy at a very young age. By the end of the two weeks, she was a different kid. She was engaging again. She was talking to them. They were playing games like they used to. They were doing all kinds of things that they had never done before, right? And she could feel the difference. Wow.
2: Sometimes so that's it takes a that I, 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 yeah, that's a great story. I'm sorry. We, we, we should have more time with you. Tova, can you tell us um, your contact information?
5: Absolutely. The, the easiest way to reach me is simply on my website, which is my name. So it's com. That's really
2: the best way to be in touch. Okay, that's great. It's Tova, T-O-V-A-G-A-R-R. Tova, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, and thank you for doing this out. It so important. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So this is Dr. Merrill. I hope you'll continue to email me at drmerrill at com. Like us on Facebook and catch us on Facebook Live. And remember, as always, do one thing for yourself this week, just one thing. You're really important to a lot of people out there. You really are. So take good care of yourself.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Cut Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.